everyone. Welcome to the Lighthouse Beacon podcast. I'm your host, Rami Shami, and I'm the Multicultural Outreach Coordinator for Lighthouse for Grieving Children. In these podcasts, we're outreaching to members of our diverse communities within the greater Toronto area to gain perspectives, experiences, insights, and recommendations on how children's grief is engaged within our multicultural demographics. Today's special guest is someone I resonate with in many ways, especially the intergenerational aspect. I'd like to read you his bio. He's quite a learned man, quite a invested man. Mr. Asif Khan is a graduate of Ryerson University and has 25 years experience as a wealth advisor. Within BMO Nesbitt Burns, Asif is an accredited and certified as a wealth management specialist for high net worth clients and holds the PFP, which is Personal Financial Planner Designation. Asif stays very active in the local community. He has volunteered for several causes and organizations over the years. He's had the pleasure of serving as the National Public Affairs Secretary for the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamiyat in Canada since 2007. And if that wasn't enough, he also serves on the board for Run for Canada, which organizes approximately 10 charity runs across Canada. In 2002, Asif was awarded the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. Welcome, Asif. Wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with, with me today. I, I can uh, I can appreciate how busy your life is with three teenage girls, a new-ish baby, um, and all your commit commitments that uh, that are engaging you within your work and the community. Well, thank you, Rami. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'll begin, Asif. You know, like I don't know how many people know what is Ahmadiyya Islam, or even your family roots. As I understand, you are intergenerational. You have brothers here. Can you tell us a little bit more about Ahmadiyya, Islam, your family roots, language spoken, uh, your family, your your country of origin? For sure, yes. Uh, mo- both my mom and dad uh, actually lived in India prior to the partition in 1947. And then obviously after the partition of India and Pakistan, they uh, migrated to Pakistan, specifically to Lahore. My father left for England in the late 50s. We believe it was about 58 or 59. And he stayed there for about a dozen years or so. Uh, my elder brother was born there. Uh, he went back to Pakistan, married my mom. They went to England and then came to Canada in 1970. And I was born here in Canada. As uh, I mentioned, I have an older brother. I have a younger brother. My mom and dad, when I was six, my father passed away here in Canada, which I guess was my first experience with uh, loss. Right? <clears throat> I was six years old at the time. Um, and then, you know, growing up, you know, you know, you're Muslim, but uh, you're not sure exactly, uh, you know, that there was differences in, in, in Islam or different types of Muslims. Um, as I grew older, you started to understand and learn that there are uh, 72 different sects in Islam. There's two main branches, Sunni and Shia. Ahmadis are from the Sunni branch. So we are Sunni Muslim, but we are, you know, a subset uh, called Ahmadi Muslims. And basically very similar, almost exactly the same as Sunni Islam, with a couple of exceptions and differences. But for the most part, um, I'm 100% Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Asif. Thank you so much. You know, I, I can't help my, my ears perk, especially since I work for a children's grief center. When you mentioned that your father died when you were six, year old, six years old, and he died when he, you were all here in Canada, can you, mm-hmm. Would you be okay to tell us a little bit more about that? What was it like for you? What do you remember? What was the experience for your family? Yeah, it. Uh, so at the time, it was my older brother. He was 10. I was six. My youngest brother 
uh, was about a year, year and a half, I believe. I just re- all I remember vividly, I was a I was a latchkey kid. You know, I, my mom worked, my dad worked. I was the first one to get home from school. I think it was maybe three o'clock that I would get home, and I just remember that day kind of dragging on. It was taking a long time for my mom and dad to come home. Uh, my brothers, uh, my br- elder brother, eventually came home. And I remember it was later into the evening. I don't know if it was very late or, or what it was, but my uncle and my mom had come home. And uh, basically my mom told us in, in the hallway of our apartment that uh, dad had died, right? And I remember my initial reaction is, well, you know, stop crying, mom, don't worry about it. The, the doctors will fix him. Uh, you know, not understanding that dying was permanent, you know? So that's kind of my, my memory of the day. Um, and then obviously being six years old uh, and then growing up without a father or, or a single uh, parent, single mom raising us had its challenges and its advantages and privileges. But, you know, you, you learn to cope. And my mom was an amazing person and a, and a very loving person and did a lot to not make us feel the void. But obviously there were, you know, there were, there were times when, when you were younger and even older, even today, when you, when you realize that there wasn't another parent there. Thank you, Asif. So in terms of Islam and how the grief was supported or not as a child, and your mom did not remarry, she, was, she stayed uh, to focus on you and, and, and your brothers. How did it impact you in terms of being Ahmadi Muslim? Did you have support from the community? Did it change the way you saw you know, how, your beliefs, your faiths? How did it, how did it influence it, you into who you are today? In 1979 is when my dad passed away. The Muslim community, though today is you know growing in Canada, wasn't a big community in 1979. So being an Amadi or being a Muslim or just being South Asian, you know you had your contacts uh, and your family, friends, uh, you know friends from the from the religious community, but there weren't a lot of people, right? And at the end of the day, you know I look back today and I remember being upset when I was younger that you know so and so uncle or or you know, person I made into an uncle because everybody was an uncle when you were when you were younger, right? That uh, they weren't around, right? Like they they weren't around as much when we needed them the most. But now when I'm older and I'm raising kids, you get it, right? Like it's everybody's uh, in the struggle, raising families, you know, going to work, paying bills, and uh, it wasn't easy, right? So whatever time people did spend, I look back now and say, you know what, that that was really nice. But at the time, I didn't think much of it, right? Um, so there was support. But there wasn't. It really was on the shoulders of my mom. Is that different today, Asif? Is that different today for a child within the Ahmadiyya community if they had a death in the family, such as a parent? Is the support different? Have, have things somewhat changed? And how would they have changed? Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the communities in, in the tens of thousands now across the country, it almost doesn't matter what city or province you live in, there would be emotional support and potentially even financial support. I remember it was about uh, seven or eight years after my father had passed away that my mom uh, got a $500 check from from the mosque. And she was embarrassed to take it. She didn't want to take it, uh, but she took it. And then she you know, made a promise to give it back, right? And not only did she give it back, but she gave it back in more than uh, its installment. But we didn't need the money. It was just, it was, it was something that was given at the time that, hey, look, you guys must be going through some harder times. Here you go. So the community is there now and today that when individuals require help, though we're not, we're not a, a community that has, you know, uh, 
unlimited resources, but we're there to help families that need it. And it could be in-kind donations, it could be financial donations, definitely emotional support. I know you'll probably get to this, but when my late wife passed away, Dania Khan, in, uh, in 2013, you know, where my dad probably had, uh, I don't remember, maybe 25 people in the funeral, and that was everybody in the community and some friends, maybe there was 50, I don't know. Uh, but there was 4,000 people that attended my wife's funeral. And, um, and the amount of people that attended, uh, now she was very much adored and loved by many. Um, that's not a normal number of people that attend a funeral. Uh, and then the number of people that came to visit my kids and, and myself at the house. And we had to have a little tent set out outside. People were in the backyard, like there, and there was too much food being brought. So there was an immense amount of initial support. And then even going onwards, right, there's always been you know, I would say constant emotional support if needed. I'm lucky I, I have family real close by. I didn't need to uh, draw on that um, or draw on those resources, but it's there and it's available. Thank you, Asif. Thank you so much. When you speak of emotional support, is there a religious context to that? Is it psychosocial? Um, how is that provided? Yeah, in the Islamic faith, you know, obviously grief is a real emotion and it has to be dealt with islam says to do the initial grief you know that hard uh grief of where it's all being kind of let out in the first few days of of someone passing and then after that you need to try to pull up your bootstraps as much as you can and go onwards with life now it doesn't mean that you have to stop grieving or not have moments of of grieving or have moments of remembering but it's the the hard that hard grieving happens in the beginning um, where you just kind of let all the emotions out. And and in those initial three days, um, it's a responsibility of a fellow Muslim to be there for for their you know fellow Muslim friend, family, whoever, in whatever way they can, right? Uh, is it just being around? Is it, um, you know, cleaning the house? I remember one day waking up in the morning and um, someone who's not that close to me, but, you know, but from the community was out cutting my grass, and I didn't ask him. He didn't ask if he could do it. He just started cutting my grass. When we talk about specifically grief support, Asif, and, and you know, you have this unique, albeit I can't imagine, perspective of a six-year-old having their father die and you're experiencing grief as a child. And then your, da- your daughters, your three girls who are teenagers now, experiencing the death of Tanya, their mother, right? What have you seen in terms of how grief is navigated within the Islamic community when it comes to the the specifics of grief support, you have some knowledge and background and understanding of how Lighthouse provides that support. Can you reflect on it as a six-year-old child and your children now as you know as as uh, teenagers and how that specific grief support is is provided? So I think um, and I'm gonna I'm just making an assumption here that most religious communities, most um, faith-based communities or even uh, cultural communities don't have the resources to do things that Lighthouse does uh, and other, um, you know, hospices or, or, or other organizations that are set up to deal with, you know, grief, right? So as much as all of the intention is in the right place by the imam or the priest or the rabbi or the community members, they're not trained in um, providing providing grief. So it's great from a perspective of support. Uh, and I, I guess because I went through it when I was six and not knowing that there was such a thing 
as emotional support from like a, a grief counselor, but I knew that my kids, hey, maybe they need something different, something more, right? Um, now, I don't live close to, to, to the lighthouse. Um, I have visited the center and, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, but I was close to Aurora and there was a hospice over there that had uh, a grief program. Uh, and at the time when my wife had passed away, my daughters were uh, 12, 10 and six. So I think it worked out for them. Not only did they do the one two week full session, they did another one that they enjoyed it quite a bit. And it really was, it was fellow kids, you know, similar, you know, they had some sort of a, a loss, be it a parent or maybe it was a grandparent or a sibling. So they were all kind of in the same boat and they didn't have to necessarily focus on the grief and be around sadness, but they knew that they were all in it together and they were healing together. Uh, and then subsequently later on, uh, my elder daughter uh, even became uh, a volunteer counselor for for the for the place uh, for one of their sessions. So I think it helped. Um, you know, looking back, maybe I could have done even more, right? I I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. In retrospect, that's amazing. That is Hospice Vaughn, and they do have a, a fulsome grief program, and it's an amazing it's amazing to hear not just that they supported your girls, awesome, but for the very fact that you engaged in that support. Now, given that, is that something you feel most Muslim families would, and maybe not even specifically Ahmadiyya, but most Muslim families would in, in, engage in a, a grief support uh, model, whether it's a hospice or lighthouse, especially from the peer support uh, perspective. Is it something that you'd find other Muslims engage in that grief support, or is it something unique to who and what you are growing up in Canada? Especially... <laughs> As a, as, a, as a six-year-old who's experienced uh, a tremendous loss at a young age? So I think there's a bit of, like you, person like yourself and, and, and your colleagues have your work cut out for you um, in that the ethnic community is not just a Pakistani Muslim um, family, but South Asian, Asian, you know, perhaps even uh, uh, African. Um, they're going to have their stigmas, right? They're, they're going to think that this is a sign of maybe weakness or it's not for me, it's for the Anglo-Saxon family. They, they wouldn't understand my cultural values and that sort of thing. And, and I think that's where kind of the language of grieving isn't based on faith. It's just kind of a universal thing and uh, people don't get that, right? So um, I'm probably one of very few in my community and I would speak for the broader Muslim community that have avail these services that are available to us, right? And they're, for the most part, available free of charge. You know, so I think, you know, like I said, you, you guys have your work cut out for you. You need to advocate more to uh, families like me or families of uh, cultural backgrounds to take advantage of this. So, Asif, why was it different for me? What catalyzed you to seek grief support? You know, sometimes uh, going back that seven, eight years ago is a little bit of a blur. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think I remember one of the nurses saying something to me that, you know, you should probably look at something like this. And, and I think I was speaking to a police officer like a few weeks after it had nothing to do with what happened with my wife or anything personally. I just through my dealings with the mosque, I think I was talking to somebody and they mentioned, they mentioned it to me. So it was just kind of a couple of people, but not anybody from my community saying it. And again, no fault of theirs. Right. And I've taken it upon myself that I get weekly emails of, people that passed away in the community. And, and unfortunately, every week there's somebody who's passing away. And I always look at the age and, uh, you know, if they're a young parent and they've got kids, 
and then I'll call those into, uh, people and I'll let them know that, hey, there's, there's, there's help for you, right, if you need it. And then I let them know if they need to lean on me, they can, and I'll offer to, and I have gone to, you know, have a cup of coffee with them, not during the pandemic, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing office. That is, that's what we, you know, that's what we could hope for. I mean, uh, a small organization such as Lighthouse won't have the capacity, nor maybe it should, to serve the absolute incredible diversity with which we have in Southern Ontario, if not, uh, if not Canada. And, and, and it's, it's inspiring to hear how you've stepped into that role as, as a peer support. I mean, you, you are you exemplified peer support, both from a child who, who had his father die and who's had his wife die as well. If I can ask you this question, your three girls, because your, your most recent girl, how old is she now? 17 months, right? So I, I guess for the viewers, they should understand that I, I have remarried. Yes. <laughs> That's why yes, I have a fourth yeah. daughter. Yeah, my, my bad on that one. I should have brought yeah. that to awareness for sure. In that perspective, how have you seen your, your three older daughters as, as Ahmadiyya Muslim girls view the world through the lens of a significant loss in their lives, having received support for that loss? Is it different from how they interact with other Muslim Muslim kids or maybe kids in general who might not have received grief support? You know, I don't think um, like with regards to my kids and their friends, be it from school or from from the mosque, a lot change. I think kids are pretty neat that way. Right. They're they're fungible or they're you know, they're they can just get through the, the weeds and make things as normal as possible. Um, as the kids get older, uh, my my kids are now, my three children um, from Dania are 20, 18, and 14. So I think now, the, you know, certain things maybe kind of come to light or conversations that they may wanted to have had or grieving that they may want to do are now kind of maybe coming to surface. Um so, yeah, it's just, uh, and I don't know if, if they necessarily, you know, at that age, they don't, they don't reach out to me as much to get it. We have a great relationship, but, you know, they're going to maybe talk to friends and hopefully they've got good friends that are doing that. And maybe they'll talk to somebody like, uh, you know, a counselor or, you know, yeah. Thank you, Asif. From your perspective, especially being well, uh, well-versed in the Ahmadiyya community, if not the Islamic community as, as a whole, what do you feel could be done to further support uh, Muslim children who are grieving. I could, I could, I can envision one, two, or three of your daughters, your older daughters, being in some aspect of of grief support, and I'm going to highly recruit them to to be volunteers at at Lighthouse or Hospice Vaughn because they're opening a whole new residence. I'm sure you're aware of. So, what do you what do you feel can be done or should be done to if there should be something that's done to further support Muslim children uh, who may be grieving? I just generally feel that the service of a grief counseling center or a hospice uh, is just not, they don't make themselves aware in our community, right? So when I say our community, meaning my mosque, but I'm also talking about all of the other Muslim mosques or the Mandars or, or the uh, Gurdwaras or whatever. We don't, as a South Asian community, I can speak specifically for South Asians. We don't realize that this service exists. And, and it's great now that, uh, you know, so many people are becoming, you know, growing up uh, and they've been Muslim, you know, obviously born Muslim and their families have come over for many years ago and, and we're, we're growing in numbers with regards to being more populous in the country. 
we now have more people graduating from different programs. For example, there's one kid, you know, I, uh, you mentioned for the last uh, dozen plus years, I'm doing the public relations of the community. But prior to that, I was a youth leader and, a, and the sports national sports secretary for the for the youth organization. And I remember there was this kid, I think he was about eight years old, and he was a shining bright star. He was in my class and he was a you know, good athlete. And he's a psychologist today and he's a psychologist. He, he does marriage counseling, right? So not, not grieving, but he does marriage counseling. And, you know, so it's just that type of stuff is happening. And I know of another organization that you, I think you told me about was Nasiha. And Nasiha does this wonderful work of having a counseling service uh, for Muslims kind of based on Muslim uh, belief systems, right? Yeah, absolutely. They do. Um grief counseling, trauma counseling, they are very well equipped. They're, they're really something else in terms of how they engage, especially the youth who are of, of the various sects of, of Islam. Now, when you mentioned Asif, that, you know, especially the South Asian community doesn't have a, a depth of awareness of grief support, either from hospices, you know, BFO, but Brief Families of Ontario, or even Lighthouse, I've come to recognize that too, especially within diverse communities, is that we don't necessarily outreach to the capacity or in the manner with which it can be received. Is that what you're speaking to? Is it that they don't know about or know much or have a depth of awareness about these services because of the lack of real outreach? Or is it also a an invitation or a safety or welcoming or a tightening of the of the of the community knit that kind of prevents any depth of engagement? I think it's a combination of many different things, right? It's not anyone's fault. It's not the faith community or the culture community's fault that they didn't do the outreach. They didn't know how. They didn't know what they, they could or that what was available to outreach for. And then the centers that are running these programs, they have a full plate. And then there's a bit of a maybe a, a hesitancy or a shyness about approaching a certain community because they don't know them, right? So there's no, I don't think there's any real prejudice or bias or, you know, God forbid, any type of racism that's happening here. It's just really, as our country, as our population um, grows older and we become more diverse, we're just going to become a lot more comfortable with each other. And we're all going to get to know one another's backgrounds, one another's, um, you know, problems, solutions. And then even the services that we provide as a country, as individual communities will become one and the same. It won't matter, right? Uh, I'm What my background is, or what someone else's background is, um, you know, even now, like you, I could pick up the phone and talk to an online counselor. They could be of any faith background and it wouldn't matter. Right. Um, yeah. and, and eventually that's the goal. And I, that's the kind of the dream I think we all have. Most definitely. Well said. It is the dream that we, we hopefully all share given all that's happening in society today with, uh, with racism, black lives matter, indigenous lives matter. We're hoping in, in Canada that we can really focus on, that, that lack of segregation, that humility, that uh, inclusivity and equity among, among all services. And I think that's part of, you know, even especially Lighthouse um, specifically, that's part of the movement to bring these, these, these services or these, these capacities to any demographic and any people. I mean, that's why we're, you and I are talking today is, is to gain that awareness. Do you feel, Asif, that the Lighthouse model of peer support group facilitated peer support is conducive within within grief support within islamic communities is it something that would that could work if it was 
because you know right now lighthouse has differentiated members people come the groups are a potpourri of people would this model of peer support facilitated in groups work within a larger context of an islamic community like the ahmadiyas i think so like you know look we raise our kids to go to school uh, that is mixed right um we go shopping together, play together, play in sports teams together. So why can't we grieve together and heal together, right? And I don't think Muslim families or other, you know, backgrounds um, would hesitate from it. I think there might be, there could be for some people a little bit of a hesitation that are they going to teach my children things that go against my value sets when it comes to grieving? And I think once we understand that, you know, grieving, you know, healing uh, for from grief isn't something that, breaks any sort of a religious value for any religion, I think, you know, it's just all help, right? And everybody can benefit from it. No, absolutely. But when you said, Asif, when we understand, when you say when we understand, or we, you know, grow an awareness of that, in what context are you speaking of? Yeah, I guess earlier I said you as a professional in this in this field have your work cut out for you because you have to get the message out, right? And how you get that message out yeah, you can do a lot of social media posts and you don't have the money to do, you know, big flashy uh, ad campaigns, but it's really on the ground, right? There's, it's actually approaching churches, mandars, synagogues, mosques, and letting them know that you get you exist, right? Um, and at the same time, you've got your capacity issue. You want to be there, you want to be inclusive, but there's only so much you or anybody in this area can do, right? So eventually we get there. And, and, then, and then the great part is that once communities, you know, Muslim community understands the value in it, then their resources become available. Then they open up lighthouse in a different part or, you know, a mosque lighthouse or a, a synagogue lighthouse or whatever we want to call it, right? And then you start to get other centers that are doing things and more trained professionals and volunteers to help with the cause. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I've wondered about that myself, if the model itself can be adopted in different different communities, different religions, or we build capacity within, and that's what we were talking with Nasiha about, to have a grief support model of lighthouse within Ahmadiyya, within you know uh, Jewish communities, within South Asians, how that would be adopted. And I appreciate hearing that you think that it could actually fly. It could actually be well-received in that regard. And, I, and, and as the intergenerational piece happens, as we have children, they see... I don't feel like, I feel like I was caught, you know, between my father's religion and, and how he saw the world and how I'm seeing the world myself. But I think our kids will be a little bit different. Do you agree with that in that regard, especially given your children and their experience of the death of their mother, they'll see the world a little bit different in terms of that cohesiveness of society. They're, they're brought to such an awareness of even racism and, and discrimination that they may be, how can I say, much further down the road in the receptivity of what we're talking about in, in griefs apart. Would you agree to that? hundred percent. I, I definitely agree. They don't see color. I remember once one of my daughters was mentioning, she was going to go play with a friend. And, and uh, I think I asked the question is, you know, I think the name was a name that sounded Chinese. And I said, is she Chinese? And my daughter looked at me like funny, like, why does that even matter? And, and apparently she wasn't right. Uh, so it's just kind of, you know, they don't see that, right? Like they don't see color first. They see friendship first. They see a human being first. And But coming back to your point, right? Like even our elders in the community, like the one stigma that existed was help with food shelters. If you look around now, you know, you have a lot of food shelters that exist 
within faith communities. And so that was a stigma that, you know, how, how can we even pretend that any of our members are not doing well and not eating, but now they've, they've come out and realized that, you know, there are people that need help. And that I think this, you know, grieving and other types of services will also come to light and the need for it and the resources of all of these communities will step up. I appreciate that, that perspective of yours. And I've always felt that, and hopefully this is, is, is said with a, a measure of sensitivity, that grief, loss, death, grieving, bereavement, trauma, as difficult and as challenging it is for us to navigate, it's almost the unconditionality of its unification in our experiences. We all do it on some level, in some capacity, and in and of itself, it doesn't see any cultural, racial, racial uh, segregation or barriers. We all grieve in our own ways. And I feel humbly, I hope I say this, that we could all benefit from some some support in grieving, however that's received. If you can leave us with something, Asif, because you've been so generous with your time, that we could call to action with respect to grief support among children within demographics uh, of Southern Ontario, what would that be? A call to action. But what I would really like to say is, and I know through this podcast we can't, but speaking to kids of any background, um, specifically ethnic backgrounds, that, you know, be comfortable talking to your parents and letting them know that you wouldn't mind talking to somebody other than mom, dad, aunt, uncle, you know, uh, imam, whoever. Uh, And it's not any shame. It's not anything to feel that I'm doing something against my faith uh, or against my belief system. And I think that might be a part of it, right? Uh, there, you know, remove that. All this is is uh, getting together with like people who have gone through similar experiences, and it's a healing by by being together, right? It's there's not there's not a voodoo faith being kind of professed on how to deal with this. And so, hopefully, if there's parents or um, you know clergy that are listening, you know, lean on these services. You can't do it yourself. Um, you get, you're definitely a pillar of it, but you need to, to extend and, and get uh, additional support from others like Lighthouse. That's a nugget. That is absolutely a nugget if I ever heard one. Thank you. Thank you, fine sir. Thank you so much for spending your time here with us today. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope you and your family stay well, especially in these unprecedented times. I feel like I haven't seen anybody in so long. would love to see you and your family. I'd love to see your new baby, meet your new wife. I don't think I even met your new wife yet, so... Thank you so much, Asif. Thank you, Romy. All the best. This has been the Lighthouse Beacon Podcast. For more information about our podcast, you can reach us at www.grievinchildrenlighthouse.org. My name is Rami Shami, and thank you very much, and stay safe, everyone.